0: OK, fab. So welcome, then, uh, to this little uh, video teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths, my favourite. Um, and here's why. And we've already been asking what's the worst place we've ever slept. And it's, and really, you should be eating a feast, not just an apple, Sue, so, because this is the biggest feast of the year and the best one in the ancient church world. Um, Now, it's meant to be in the month of Tishri, which is October, so we're a little bit behind um, on our plan, but don't worry, it's the last feast of the year, and it lasted eight days, and here it is in Leviticus 23, I'm just going to read it out. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, uh, the Lord's festival of tabernacle must begin, and it will last for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. So eight days, um, uh, starting on the 15th day, and they would all dwell in booths. And if we weren't in lockdown, I had a great plan for us all weekend to live in the church car park in a booth, in booths that we made. And the children were going to be there and Sue was going to be there. And we were like loads of crafts to do to live in like a leafy, twiggy booth and show King Coyd that we're not about wealth. We're about Jesus, but we're not allowed. Uh, We'll do that next year. The other thing that was happening was there was a big in-gathering of food from the land. The land was like flourishing and prospering and the fruits were being gathered in, apples and everything. And right. So that's basically it. Well, it's not it. That's the introduction. Um, Now, I'm going to build a little case and then we're going to look at the uh, feast again. What comes to your mind when I talk, when I say, oh, um, Tell me about the new creation. Now, you don't have to answer out loud because I've muted you, but have a little think. Your non-Christian friends come up to you and they say, tell me about the new heavens and the new earth or the final resurrection. What do you say? Have a think. Well, if you're like me until I got into this, you probably might not say too much because it's an area that's not been touched on all that much. And I don't think in churches we ask enough of these questions. What type of body am I going to have when Jesus makes everything new? Hold on, in comes Sue Hawkins. We should maybe do a slow clap or something. No, we won't. You're on mute anyway. Be grateful to hear. you. Yeah, that's right, Sue. That's the Christian response. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> And um, what, what type of body will I have? Or what will I enjoy doing in the new heavens and the new earth? What will my incorruptible body be like? Will I have sciatica or, um, uh, I don't know. Upes. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, arthritis. What will it be like? And I think, like... The remaking of everything that the Lord does has been spoiled in recent years by too much talk on raptures and millennium and how many years. It's, those are important questions, but they've swamped perhaps the greatest point, which is at the end of the Bible, come Lord Jesus quickly. And I think the church should start getting excited about that again. Now, I'm not here to knock John Wesley he's one of the greatest writers ever but listen to the words of this hymn and it's symbolic of loads of christian hymns hey here comes renee from new zealand wait pause the show oh i think wait is sue hawkins here now as well hello what time is it in new zealand hey renee and john t and sue they're all in Hello. Hey, welcome. Great to see you. So here's a John Wesley hymn verse, famous verse, you might know it. Away with our sorrow and fear, we soon shall recover our home. The city of saints shall appear. The day of eternity come. Does anybody know the next line? Does my mum? are you here? And can you unmute? I can't see you. I've lost it because I've been myself. Can you, can you hear us? Yeah. I don't think you've muted us. Oh. Uh, no, I don't know that him at all. No, don't. Oh, we don't know it. Okay. It is. You can mute yourselves then if I haven't. The next line is, From earth we shall quickly remove and mount to our native abode, the house of our Father above. To the palace of angels and God. And note the emphasis of the hope of John Wesley there is from earth we shall quickly remove. Okay, I got another one. Okay, anybody know the next line here? This is from J.M. Neal. Brief life is here our portion, brief sorrow, short lived care, the life that knows no ending. The tearless life is there. There. That's interesting. So the hope for Neil is finally my tears will end when I get there, up in heaven. But can we do slightly better than those two hymns when we really discuss what the hope of every Christian here tuned in is tonight who has got bad backs or your teeth are falling out, or you've got depression or something like that. Is there something greater than escaping this body and floating around? Have you ever had this conversation? Um, Like, what's heaven going to be like? And someone, or have you heard someone talking to their preacher? What's heaven going to be like? Or what's the new heavens and earth? And they say, um we don't really know but whatever makes you happy times it by 10 and that's heaven i've heard preachers say that but and then I, but i think i like eating curry and i like watching like football so is that he- is that the hope and then at that point most pastors go like this no 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 those things will be done away with Curry and foot done away with, but rest assured it will still be great. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. Guess there's nothing I like there, but okay, I'll take your word that it's going to be great. But what is it? And what you're presented with often then is like some disconnected joy that we've got no idea what it is and relates to nothing. Enjoyable that we've ever experienced before, and so you might say to your non-Christian friends, "Oh, you should become a Christian. You'll go to heaven when you die." And you like, and they might say, "Well, what's in heaven?" And then you say, "What? Oh, we don't really know, but it'll be good. Take our word for it. Christians will be there, and we just sing together." And then they're instantly just put off. Loads of them are. Can we do better than that? I think we can, and it's all to do with this feast, on how the Bible presents a final hope better than that. And it's where God moves house and dwells on earth, and God wipes away every tear from our eyes and then brings in physical, bodily, tangible enjoyments which last forever. That's what this feast is about, and it's why it's my favourite. It's so physical. I don't know if any of you have read Thomas Watson, the Puritan, his book, A Body of Divinity. Well, the resurrection hope, which this feast is about, is given six pages of attention out of 316. So it's not big on his list. I don't know if any of you have got Louis Berkhof's systematic theology. Out of 750 pages, only 17 are given to the final state of Christians and what it will be like. So our message basically recently has become this. Trust in Jesus, he'll whisk you to the throne room of heaven. End of. That's it. Rather than Christianity is about Christ Jesus, the physical cosmic Lord, who redeems the cosmic fall, which includes our bad back, and depression, and psoriasis, and cosmically redeems every aspect of it. And that's the hope of the church. And if you enjoy walks on the beach now, wait till you do it in the new heavens and the new earth. Why am I iffy about American rapture literature? It's because of this. The point of those books is that the earth gets abandoned and left to the wicked. And that seems to be the end of every single one of those books. Whereas in Matthew five, Jesus makes the exact opposite. People like you listening today inherit the earth. And with Noah, like he stayed and the, re- the wicked are dispelled from the earth of the Lord. And Jesus constantly comes back to the hope of every Christian. It's not heaven so much as it's eating this massive marriage feast physically together, which is what we are doing today on a small scale. So that's my case. And now I'm going to try and prove that that was in the Old Testament feast here. And then you can all go do whatever it is you do. So this is an eight day feast. By the way, I'm going to ask a maths question in a minute. So get ready. But I don't know if you know this, but in the Hebrew scriptures, eight and the Greek scriptures, eight is the number of the new creation. So Jesus himself rose on the eighth day, the first day of the new week. And then is seen as this gardener do you remember that he's the gardener he's like started everything again he's tending to this new garden after his resurrection that's his first identity as this risen creature tending to the ground the resurrected man so there's that on the eighth day then you would get circumcised which was a sign of new birth and new creation being cut off from what's past on the eighth day. So that's what, uh, this is why it's an eight-day feast. Those sorts of themes are being triggered for us readers here to have in mind. Also in this feast, the whole world is signified in this one. This isn't a mini one. This is a big one. Now, here's where I prove this bit. Here's some maths. I'm going to turn now to the chapter about this feast in Numbers chapter 29. Don't turn it up because that's cheating. But I actually went out of my way and counted how many bulls were sacrificed in this feast, because I'm a loser. But I'm going to do it now with you. So rapid fire. I'm only going to read this once. And if you think you know the answer at the end, I'm going to shout out the number of bulls. You add them up in your head. And you're not allowed to use pen and paper, but how many bulls were killed during, this, during the first seven days of this feast? So this is from Numbers 29. This is the kind of fun we have in Park End on a Friday night. Um, right. Day one, 13 young bulls. That's Numbers 29, 13. Day two, offer 12 young bulls. Day three, offer 11 young bulls. Day four, offer ten bulls. Day five, offer nine bulls. Day six, offer eight bull, bulls. Day seven, offer seven bulls. How many bulls? Go! A lot. A lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seventy. Yeah. Seventy. The Williamses, yet again. Beautiful. Seventy. During this feast, now Renee said seventy. I can see brilliant. Now, seventy. Uh, yep, yeah, brilliant. So you're, you're correct. Seventy in the Bible is an important number because it's the number for the nations, and it's symbolic of all the world's nations, peoples from every tribe and nation. And in Genesis chapter ten, that chapter is called the Table of nations and it's where after the flood Noah's descendants the 70 nations go out and populate the world and you're from one of those uh, peoples. And that's by and large, but not exclusively, but often how 70 is used in this Bible so just as in the scriptures so just as a catch up. There's a feast that lasts eight days, new creation themes, where the whole world and the many nations are to be alerted to, and if possible, they were to attend. And there were 70 bulls almost for cleansing for the entire world. Everything is represented in this 70. And the land is yielding loads. There's a massive punishment if you don't show up to this one, here's Zechariah 14, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the, the Lord Almighty, they will have no reign. So this is a big one that the nations cotton on to this one. And then they would live in tents, which is what we should be doing in the car park, but it's locked down and we're not allowed. Well, not tents so much, but flimsy booths that they would have made. Now, once upon a time, I was in a tent and at three o'clock in the morning, the tent wasn't there anymore because I'm not very good at putting tents up. And what was there was a storm on my face at three o'clock in the morning in a pitch black field in North Wales. And what I did was try and find my tent, and then I saw at the end of the field there was an old manor house. So I snuck into the manor house, and I found a bath, and I made myself a bath. And it was the greatest bath I've ever had because I was freezing, and then I got in the bath. The flimsy structure had failed me, and I entered the solid structure and made benefits from its bath, had benefit from its bath ah i'm no longer in the flimsy structure i've moved back and on the eighth day they would leave their flimsy structure and go back to their more solid homes Ah, there's another camp i've been on and you used to have to put 20p in the communal shower and there was all gunk on the floor and it was disgusting And you had to have a week long of Christian camp showers standing in the gunk of everybody else. And after you finished the shower, you walked through the gunk and you needed another shower. But at the end of that week, you got home into your proper house with solid foundations. You weren't in a tent in a campsite anymore. And you went, ah. And at the end of the seven days here, they would leave their flimsy structure, having been reminded that it's just a passing world here. And they would go back into a more permanent house as a reminder there's something permanent coming this world is passing and people with cancer need to know that they can do this one day ah this tent is passing away this flimsy booth this world it's being changed one day because of jesus and i'm going to go ah And people with all sorts of problems, because the result of the fall, one day, if they trust Jesus, they'll be in a new body and they'll go, ah, this is better. Now I'm in the immortal body. So this feast was a reminder to them to remind themselves that this is a passing world and it's going to be remade without blemish and without spot abraham did the same thing listen to this our ancient forefather abraham by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in a tent as did isaac and jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is god So Abraham was constantly reminding himself, this world is passing. There's a city whose architect is God. And I'm looking forward to that. And that city is actually going to come back here and God will make his home here again. So heaven at the moment, and I don't know if you know this, is basically like a really fancy bus stop. And every saint that has died and has gone there is waiting for the bus to return here. They're in the bus stop. It's wonderful. It's glorious. But it's not as good as what's coming when Jesus finally finishes his work of redemption. Where all tears are finally wiped away. And this truth of the coming world is taught also in Isaiah 11 and 65 and 66, and in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, here's how we are supposed to live in light of the coming world. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. So, we're tonight, as we eat and head into our evenings, we're to be bastions and signposts that we believe that this world is passing and that there's a permanent one coming in its place. And so you should thematically sleep in a tent or a booth somewhere in your house tonight to remind yourself to not get too bogged down and to look to Jesus and the world to come. Here's Romans chapter 8, where the final hope of Jesus is revealed. We all know that creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sonship, the redemption of our bodies, my cellulitis free body, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. New bodies ah, together as church family. All ill will and suspicion gone as church hangs out with each other in the new creation. Even the trees are looking forward to this one and are groaning and calling for Jesus to get rid of those ash dieback diseases which is riddling them. This is a tent. We are heading to an immortal body. So there's just a few more things to say. um, There's a degree of sadness in heaven at the moment. I don't know if you know that. There are martyrs there who are waiting to be avenged and uh, their tears have not yet been wiped away. When will all tears finally be wiped away? and your wrongs done against you put to right. Um, It's when God moves in and moves us into our solid everlasting homes, and when his city returns here. Here's Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We'll get into the sea on another talk one day. No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so the Park End message to our friends that we love, who aren't yet part of Jesus and his church, is this. You know those things that make you cry? The things that children get scared of? The dark things. You know the aches and pains? He gets rid of it. Come to the one who gets rid of it and follow him that's the christian message that's sin even in your own lives turn from it it's destroying everything and come to christ and i gotta just say my favorite bit this god moving in that was a massive part of this feast here's one kings chapter eight where god's seat the ark was brought to the temple when did that happen Good question. I've got the answer. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the Lord's heads, sorry, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of Israel and their families. They were there to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of ethanine, that's the seventh month, that's this month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings on it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered around him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary. Of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. So, God moving in at this feast, that is our hope. He now permanently sits right smack in the middle of his people in the temple. And hence, you find in Deuteronomy 16 the command to be joyful at this feast, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the foreigners, the fatherless, everyone in your towns, your joy will be complete. And my very last question, folks, is this. On the eighth day, how many bulls were sacrificed when they moved back in? One one final lasting bull that all the focus was on when they went back into their homes and they had the ah the one pleasing sacrifice so in their mind is this this is all because of the kindness of that one that sacrifice that messiah in whom we trust and we love and We're looking forward to what he's going to do to this planet and my bad, bad back and my bad temper and my mood swings and my insomnia and my addictions. He's going to sort them all out. Yes. So we love this feast and we should all be in the car park, but um, we can't. Next year, hopefully, we will be. So those are some thoughts for you on the Feast of Tabernacles as you go and lay your head down to to sleep well it's only 20 to 7 so maybe you're not doing that i've got another study we could do on will there be sports in heaven and how you can actually lose in a non-sinful way and how there probably will be football in heaven but we won't do that Mm. No no thanks. we'll do that another time so in the name of the father the son and the spirit amen thanks be to the lord jesus christ